I um, I was around uh, at the Van Vurens, who I don't think are here tonight, during the week. Um, so Dwayne and Cheryl there was there with the Friars. We're talking about our life groups and our care. But um, Dwayne is one of those people who has a fish tank. And I am endlessly fascinated with fish tanks, but also the kind of people who keep fish. Um, Rob, Robbie Burgess, who's not here tonight, is also a, a big uh, aquariumologist, a fishermologist, uh, keeps goldfish. Um, and as I understand, I mean, they're just, I, I find them fascinating. But um, goldfish, um, and, and, and again, it's, I'm, I'm using that word and showing not much knowledge because it's more than just goldfish in there. In fact, people really into it have sometimes some very exotic and very expensive fish in there. And as I understand it, you really need to curate, like the environment needs to be just right. The water temperature needs to be just right. Like the acidic level, the pH, they're endlessly tweaking that. It needs to be clean. You need to have one of those little underwater astronauts in there, apparently. Everyone must have that. And the little castle, they seem to be necessary. Um, but you've got, to, you've got to be the kind of person who is like making sure that environment for the fish to to thrive it's got to be just right and variants either way and it can be catastrophic and some of those fish can be incredibly expensive it's why we don't keep goldfish it's why in choices of pets we needed to we needed a pet that would thrive on neglect and eating the corner of picnic tables so we got a labrador perfect um, but that's the nature of i guess keeping fish and we're going to talk about James and, and we've been in the book of James and the kind of faith that James takes us into um, is kind of the, is the opposite of what I want to call goldfish like aquarium faith. In the last period of time, and we've talked about this here at Cornerstone a little bit, in the last period of history, there's been an approach to following Jesus, an approach to faith that I'm going to characterize as kind of the healthy, wealthy and wise faith, the hashtag best life now, where it kind of, it looks at what is possible. Uh, the, the, the view of thriving is all around, it's really a lifestyle and it's been possible and it's been sustained in this period in history in the West or the developed world, because there's been some rather unique circumstances this is why i call it aquarium faith it requires some very unique circumstances we have had for about 70 or so years in the developed world unprecedented economic success we've had unprecedented peace and stability we've had uh, prosperity we've had opportunity we've had largely where the christian way of life is the dominant idea and so it's been like this incredible aquarium where you can follow Jesus and look at scripture and look at Jesus through the lens of this hashtag best life now. The goodness of God, it's, it's all there for you. I want to suggest there's this thing that is happening that looks dismaying, but it's actually great. Who's heard the word? It's a bit of a buzzword around if you sort of read blogs or going on about people deconstructing their faith. There's a big deconstruction going on. Some people are really concerned. I'm really, really glad that deconstruction is happening. Because actually what's happening is that kind of faith can't survive outside of those conditions. And guess what? 
conditions are changing a little and have been changing. And so as people are deconstructing the hashtag best life now approach to faith, the healthy, wealthy, wise thing, some people are concerned, I'm not so much. Because actually it's not the faith that James takes us into. The book of James, and, and that's why we felt like for this last little period, looking in James um, has been really, uh, really important. You know, the, the year has started not in the way in which we would have hoped. Uh, we, you know, mentioned, someone mentioned before, you know, I think it was Ben about being tired. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of that going around. It's not started the way in which we would hoped. James really blows up the aquarium faith in the first opening stanza when he says, and Josh mentioned this last week, one of the most cryptic and, and um, um, sort of baffling statements, perhaps a way to open a book in all of scripture, consider it pure joy when you go through trials. Hashtag best life now faith. That doesn't make sense. Consider it pure joy when you go through all trials. That seems the opposite of that. But James is saying, actually, no, Consider a pure joy and, and remember the work that we've done. We've mentioned this, the difference between joy and happiness. Don't be happy about trials. James is not saying that. He's saying essentially in the language, something of incredible value that you should be joyful about, that you should be buoyed about is happening when you go through trials. Something of incredible eternal worth is happening. God is, consider a pure joy because God is up to something. If you're going to lean into it. And he goes on to talk about, and Megzi read out the, the version that says patience. It's rendered in other texts as perseverance. Something is going on in the way in which your faith is being formed that will form perseverance. Now, last week, when um, I'd already had this, you know, been thinking about, about James, and when Josh was preaching and he mentioned, he referenced James 1, and straight away it's like, yeah, I, I really feel like we've got to go there. And then... At the end, if you, if you were here, at the end, actually, Mr. Um, um, Mr. Goldfish, uh, Robbie Burgess himself, aquariumologist, got up and actually, right at the end, gave a word. Do you remember where it was from? Psalm 27, which had been a psalm that had been going on in my life. Now, you can look at Psalm 27 and at that point. You might have felt, Josh, that was a bit of a downer of a message sort of um, aquarium faith would go, we need to find something good in scripture to talk about it, to balance it. To, 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 you know, that was a bit of a downer in James. Let's go to the bit where it says there's going to be good things that are going to happen. You could look at it that way. I don't think Rob was doing at all, actually. What I want to say to you and what I feel is an encouragement for all of us tonight is it's only when you grab the idea that we would consider it joy, that God is up to something in our hardest seasons and put it together with the promise of what David, because this is the Psalm of David, is talking about when he says, I would have lost heart. And I love that uh, rendition in New King James. I would have lost heart. Other renditions said, I would have fainted. I would have despaired. It's the exact opposite of perseverance, isn't it? It's the exact opposite of hope. We've talked about hope being the ability to continue to walk forward expecting something good. That's the definition of hope. You're going to move forward expecting something good. You're living with hope. 
David is saying, I would have been in the complete opposite. I would have been so overwhelmed by my circumstances that it would, I would have lost heart. I would have fainted. David is going deeper into this idea that James is talking about when in difficult seasons, God's up to something. Now, David, if we just look at this, I mean, this, this um, psalm is so fantastic, so full of stuff. I wanted to read the whole thing. Um, but David is so well-placed for us to talk about or to consider this authentic kind of James type of faith as opposed to aquarium faith. Hashtag best life now. David, and it kind of starts off, the psalm starts off with David saying, um, God, you're great. I've got nothing to fear. Kind of sounds like hashtag best life now. Kind of sounds like David, who's the king and he's beaten Goliath and he's been blessed and the one after you. It sounds like that, where he's saying, who have I got to fear? Everything's going so well. But as it goes into the psalm, we see David who we can so resonate in his humanity. David, as a, as a pivotal sort of um, character in scripture, we see this is a guy who experienced the trials of life, the tribulations. And what's great about David is that actually he both experienced those trials and tribulations as, a, as the subject of great injustice, of things that happened to him that were unfair that he had every right to say to God, to grumble to God. And he kind of did grumble to God in the Psalms. You can read it. He was on the wrong end of life. There's that. But also, David probably had one of the most um, significant moral failures in all of Scripture. With Bathsheba, I mean, it, it, it's, we sometimes glass over it because it's David. This, it was his moral failings and the trials and tribulations that came as a result of his bereftness of character and integrity and abuse of spiritual and political power to get what he wanted and lust. It's, 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 I, it's hard to think of a worse story. So David is, is someone who we can kind of really, when he talks about trials, when he says, I would have fainted, I would have lost hope unless I believed. We can lean into this and know this is a guy who's, you know, he's, he's talking from real life. And I guess as I was preparing for this, as I was feeling as an encouragement for us about the kind of faith that helps us persevere and what David is talking about, I would have lost hope unless. I... Um, if I think about my life 10 years ago, if someone had come and said to me, in a decade's time, you're going to be a widow, you're going to be a single dad of three kids, that, that wouldn't have been a surprise, I had three kids then, that would, be, would have been okay. Or that's five kids I might have been. But if, if someone had come and outlined the circumstances of my life to me 10 years ago, you're going to be leading your family through their critic, one of their most critical times of these young adults' life, in the middle of leading a church, which is also going through its most significant transition in 30 years, during the middle of a global pandemic, I would have gone, from where I was then, I would have gone, wow, that's going to take a turn. And it did. And so I, I am in the middle of a season where more than any other time in, his, in my life, I know what it feels like 
to, to be close enough to feel what I might lose heart here. I might faint. The circumstances have at times been so overwhelming, I can resonate deeply. And I am sure most, if not all, have been in that circumstance where we feel like it's so overwhelming. I can also resonate, as can many of you here, I'm sure, with what David says next. He says, I would have, I would have lost hope. I would have lost heart. I would have fainted if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And that was the, the prophecy that, that, um, that Robbie gave last week. I, I have to say that this is not a boast. This is a truth. I believe in the middle of my circumstances, I, I believe I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Now, I really like that David put on. He didn't use the get out of jail free on the other side of eternity where everything gets fixed. He says, in my lifetime. What enabled him to move forward with hope is this word belief. He believed he was going to see, despite coming face to face with injustice to the point where, you know, that bit where he says, even if my mother and my father forsake, he wasn't being rhetorical. Remember where Jesse was when, uh, sorry, remember where David was when the prophet came and said, I think one of your sons is going to be king. Jesse lines up everyone but David, who's at the back. There's every, there's other passages, there's every reason to believe that David was really on the outer of his own family that the experience of being neglected overlooked by his mum and dad that wasn't rhetorical so here he is experiencing all these things and also he's come face to face with his own broken humanity and says look that would have done me in except I just believe I believe I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living and I know, I, I, I know what it is to believe there. I think also of Paul. Paul also, I mean, he talks about the things that he faces. In the, he, he lists them off. I've been shipwrecked this many times. I've been in jail and I've been... He names the thing. This is the thing about aquarium faith. When you go through sucky times, if you've got that kind of faith, You've got to kind of do some weird stuff with your real experiences and, and say that they're, it's all fine. It's, you know, it's all good. And yet you come across people like that, where it's like their faith is so fragile. They can't give, they can't give voice to reality. That's, that faith is no good. Deconstruct that faith. That's not a biblical faith. Paul lists it. He, he records it for all posterity, for you to see all the things that have gone wrong. Yet when you see the theme again and again and again with Paul in his writings, he says things like, I am persuaded. I am convinced. I believe. He has got this thing. Famously, Romans 8, 38. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor spiritual powers, nor anything can separate me. Something happened to Paul where he believed he's got this David faith. He's got this James faith. This is the biblical faith. This will set you through difficult times. Name it. Name it. Speak to it. You don't need to be afraid of that. But he believed. Now, here's the thing. Here's what you should be asking me right now. How do I believe? What does that mean? It seems, seems that everything you're saying hinges on this word, but I believe. You're saying, Graham, that you've experienced this in your life, but you believe. You're saying, Paul, he was convinced. You're saying, David, but he believed. What does that mean? Well, that's the right question. And I don't have an answer. It's not a maths 
equation. It's not an English comprehension test. What I can say to you, and what we see from the life of Paul and David and just about every other hero of the faith, the very basis of Paul's experience of following Jesus, he encountered Jesus and it literally, literally knocked him off his horse. He had an encounter with Jesus that was so dramatic, it not just changed the way he thought, which it did, not just changed what he believed, which it did, it, it overwhelmed him. It made him faint, but in the right direction. David was famously a man after God's own heart who would write these Psalms from a place of deep encounter. So there's three things, and here you go, kids, little clue. There's three things that if you want that kind of faith, that's not the fragile, it'll only thrive in certain circumstances, which seem to be a historical anomaly. There's three things I want to encourage you to. One is you've got to have an encounter with God. I don't know how to say it. You've got to have the kind of encounter with God that knocks you off your horse. Now, that might all happen in completely internally and no fireworks and there's no prerequisite of what it looks like from the outside. But unless you have an encounter with God and meet the real living God, and this is why, as I love so many much of the, the fullness of the kingdom of God, this is why I identify as a Pentecostal, because in our historical um, theology, there is a place for saying we value encounter with God. Now, can that be misused and abused? Absolutely. But it's fundamental to say, as an essential part of my belief, I believe because I've just met God. I can't explain it. I can't even explain what happened, but I tell you what, you can't argue me out of it. I would have lost heart unless I believed. Here's the second thing. So you've got to have an encounter and you've got to make space to continue to have that kind of encounter in your rhythm that you encounter God. I would have lost heart, but God keeps showing up. Sometimes when I don't even want to talk to him. Often. Well, not often. No, I feel like often enough. Anyway, here's the other thing. You've got to meet the God of Scripture. You've got to let the, the fullness, the full counsel of Scripture define what good is. Hashtag best life now, aquarium faith, has got a very narrow, tinselly view of what good is. And it's not really shared by Christians in the developing world or the persecuted church. It's not their view. And I've met some of those hashtag Christians, fairweather Christians, and I've met some people who, who were in play. And I know who I'm following. I know which kind of faith seems of more substance. You've got to let God define what is good. And you do that by actually getting the full counsel of scripture. Read Lamentations. Aquarium faith, there's some just places you don't go. You don't do too much reading in Job. You don't do too much in Lamentations or Ecclesiastes or the wisdom. You avoid those things. So if you want that kind of shallow, tinselly faith that's not good for much, don't go there. But if you want to let God define what good is and meet the full breadth and width of God, then meet him in scripture and let him enlarge and reframe what good is. And that'll be good for you. And the last thing I'm going to finish on this. You need to have in your world, in your inner world, in your inner circle, people who won't let you forget how good God has been to you. You need to have people, you don't need too many of them, but you need them. 
And you can have all sorts of other people who remind you of how not great and how sucky things are. But you need a couple of people. You need a few people who won't let you forget how good God has been, but who also, and I'm so thankful, and some of these people are sitting right here now, who seem to be absolutely committed to, rem to not reminding you, but to telling you that they too believe that you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You need those people who remind you how good God has been and how good he is going to be. And you need to spend time with those people. You need to answer their call when they call. You need to get around them because they'll, otherwise I would have fainted. I would have lost heart. As we finish, one of those people for me, and you've heard me talk about it before, is my stepbrother, Duncan. We were actually best mates and then our parents married. It's a story for another time. Um, but I was thinking about how he is someone who is just so committed to not just my well-being, but to remind me how God, good God's been. And we've shared most of our journey in growing up in faith together. And so I was thinking about him as I was doing this yesterday, and he called. And he said, Clarky, tomorrow, his church meets at the same time. He's also a pastor. Out. He said, tomorrow I'm preaching from James 1. <laughs> and he said, I want to use you as an example of someone who's got that kind of James 1 perseverance faith. How do you do that? So, well, it's funny you ask. There's three points. <laughs> and we were, to, I mean, it's very humble. It's very humbling when someone says they want to use you for an example of that. Just quietly, I wouldn't mind sometime wanting to use me as an example of hashtag best life now. That wouldn't be bad too sometimes, but it was very humbling. But it just, well, as we were talking and sort of sharing this confirmation, it's good when preachers get confirmation like that. You think this is a good word and... Um, we realized it, we just both believe different contexts. It's such a message for now, the kind of faith. There is something being deconstructed and good riddance. Yeah, yeah. Good riddance to bad rubbish. Because yeah, yeah. it was only, you had, to be, you had to be in an aquarium for that to work. And it's being deconstructed. And so if you feel that, that's okay. But there's something else that I'm just, I want you to lean into with us because I believe you can name, this is, there's so much going on that's not great, name it. That's okay. We can, we can name that. But I, I would lose heart unless I believe that we will, we together, will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I thank you uh, for so many people here live this message out to us. Lord God, thank you for your incredible the breadth of who you are, that you can handle us being honest about how we feel, Lord God. Help us reframe what good is. I feel that's such an important word. Help us reframe and let the things that only the, the, our approach to faith that's like tinsel, uh, Lord, as the world feels like it's getting a little bit more like a murky aquarium, Lord, let the things that only survive in that fall away and instead Lord, may we encounter you. That is my prayer for every single person here. May we encounter you continually in a way that just leaves us saying, I, I just believe. I just believe God is good. I can't fully explain it. I just believe God is good. Lord, we want to make space for that so that we can see your goodness in the land of the living. Amen. Let's stand and sing.